0: get going on this. Now, I need your help on this. Okay, As everybody just comes in, gets settled in, I need your help on this. There's a lot of information, and by God's grace, I'm going to move through it. But we've got a challenge right now, and if you can look at me, I want to tell you what it is. It's 11 o'clock. And at my church, we have two services, 9 o'clock and 11. And I have noticed at the 11 o'clock service, as we travel through the service, the stomach starts growling. The eyes go to the watch. Hunger develops. Restlessness occurs. And all that is happening with me as I'm preaching. So I want to encourage you, we're in this together. And I believe by God's grace, we'll be able to enjoy this time. What I'm about to share with you is just a a culmination and a a combination of uh, ministries that not only have poured into me, but ministries that I have run after. To, to learn, why are they successful? Why are they impacting uh, people 's lives? And uh, you know, uh, Chris Hodges is a, is a, is a great um, uh, resource that I encourage you to look into. Dr. Mark Rutland, who actually spoke at our convention, I believe, a couple years ago, um, and uh, Dr., Dr. Thompson Matthews. but also just the, the, the things that I've learned off of you my friends and my colleagues, and uh, probably one of the top at the list is my father, uh, Pastor Gino DeMarco, who sends his love, regards, he's doing well, and uh, I owe a lot to him for who I am in ministry. Once again, Brother Mike, thank you for the opportunity to, to share. Uh, I, I ask you to do this. In John chapter 21, something interesting occurs. Jesus is about to leave, and Peter is worried about one of his friends, one of the disciples. So, so he asks Jesus, what about him? And Jesus responds in this way, guys, let this empower you. You don't have to always answer the question that people ask you with an answer. Yeah, the, the, it, sometimes questions that come to us are distracting. Jesus simply says to him this, what is that to you? You must follow me. And so I want to encourage you. We wear, with the hat, how many pastors do we have here? Senior pastors, okay? All right, thank you. How many assistant pastors do we have here? Support pastors, tremendous. How many serve in leadership in another In another form. Let me see your hands. All right, good. We've got a good mix here, okay? Now, how many of you serve as a pastor, but also as a director? Uh, You have multiple hats. I had several seasons like that. Yeah, God's grace is on you. This is what I want to encourage you with. Receive this session. Receive it as the Lord, the Spirit's ministering to you for your area. Don't look quickly to, oh, so-and-so needs this. Or this is how I can help so-and-so. Look to see, what is God doing? What is he challenging you with? What is he affirming you? What is he speaking to you about with the hat that he has assigned you to wear? Think that first. I know uh, for me, uh, with um, the tremendous ministry that we have received, from our brother, I have, a, I have an equipping to teach my people about spiritual warfare. You know, I, I do. I thank you, brother. But as I was listening to this, I was praising God. Thank you, Lord. You, you, you've given me something that's comprehensive to equip my people. But as I'm listening to this, first and foremost, let it run through me, Lord God. Let, let, me, let me see. Instead of trying to cut someone else's grass. Let me take care of the yard that you've assigned me with. All right? All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, Here's my story. My story is basically this. I have lived in the same town my whole life. I've attended the same church and now pastor my home church. I have grown up and I am still in the same denomination and organization. Um, With that kind of story... God has been faithful and gracious and patient with me. Uh, I want to encourage you. Change is a way of life for the growing Christian. Change is a way of life for the growing pastor. And to grow, there will be groanings. But God will stretch you. You need stretch because you don't know it all. I don't know it all. So the growing can be a process at times when it is fun and at times when it is humbling. So so through this session, I hope that there's a joy in receiving things that might just be a celebration to you and also maybe humbling. I have found this to be true, that God is faithful to us, even when we're faithless. I thank God for that. But I want to grow. I want to to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I gave it all. Not just in physical energy, I gave it all in wisdom. Lord, when you gave a teaching that challenged me, I didn't let it fall to the side. I I let it transform my life so that my life can be used to transform others' lives. Some of you have been a tremendous encouragement to me as I'm talking to you and hearing how you're pushing through things at your church. I, th- thank you. Thank you. I have found that when we fellowship in light of vision, vision is cultivated. And I thank God also for this fellowship when there are needs that be met, that there's a love to, to minister to our fellow brothers and sisters. You know, when we operate just in titles and something occurs, and our relationship changes, it's a great sign that we're hypocrites. Listen, if you're hurting and I'm in friendship with you, my love for you should meet you right where you're at. If I'm hurting, our friendship, should meet. you should meet me right where I'm at. There may be needs to be adjustments and times of restoration. Yeah, I'm on a restoration team right now, and this last year and a half, we've ministered to several several ministers, and several families. If I had a legalistic view of this, someone needs to hear this, rules without relationship creates rebellion. Thank God for Jesus that he came to bring us into the relationship that God originally intended for us to have. We need to be able to go beyond the written law into the spirit of friendship so that we can walk together with each other. Amen? All right, with that said, when I was a youth pastor, I had all the answers. When I became a senior pastor, I have all the questions. (laughs) Now I'm growing as a senior pastor. And I'm finding something that's so liberating. I can direct people to the one who has the answer for their questions. With that said, I want to encourage you about extending your ministry reach. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, this is the day you have made. We do rejoice, and we are glad in it. Lord, uh, there is a a, a teachable spirit in in this place right now, Lord. You honor that. Father, I thank you that by your spirit, you speak through your servant to bring life, to nurture life, to, to nurture vision, to, to enlighten the eyes of our understanding to the call of God on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brother Mike asked me to share some of the things that uh, I've learned and am and, and still learning and as I was praying about it, uh, this title came to me, Extending Your Ministry Reach and really it implies that you have a ministry. I hope you realize you have a ministry. It also assumes you want to grow. You want to expand. You want to expound upon the, your ministry. This is, the, this is the assumption that I'm teaching from. Um, if you're in a place where you don't want to grow, you don't want to expand, this is going to be a challenging message to you, and I pray it just, it just, it just breaks some, some maybe hollow ground there that, that you will find a, a refreshment in it. But that's what this is implying. And it expresses that there is a reach, a goal, a target, a mark that you are moving toward, extending your ministry reach. There is something... You're not just doing something frivolously. You you have an intention of what God has assigned for you to do. There's a target. There's a reach. And and, uh, and though you have already laid hold of some things, you want to extend what you are doing for God. In Mark chapter 3, this portion of Scripture, I think, reflects where we're going today. I just want to read this to you. It says this. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of them, everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. There's a lot in this I just want to reflect for a moment where we're at in this session. The Lord wants us to have a healthy reach. The Lord is our healer. The Lord is the one who provides wholeness. He comes into a religious setting and he sees someone who who is not functioning to the fullness of what he should be doing. Jesus Targets his love, his power to this man. And he does something interesting. He has this man stand before everyone. So we see that Jesus is positioning this man, not just for the moment, for this man's sake, but for the sake of those that are around. And he heals this man's hand. There is an extending of this man... Because Jesus brought healing to this man. I believe too many times, too often, ministers are, are going about ministry because they've got a wound. They, they've got an area in their life that, that just needs a touch of God. And, and they're in the setting. They're in the church. They're in the, the place of worship. They're, they're faithful, but they're just wounded. What I love about what's happening through this weekend is God is using our brother to, to minister, not just healing, but wholeness. And, and I find that's just so uh, refreshing and, and embracing. This should be the norm. This should be the norm. There is sin issue. We need to hate what Jesus hates. But brothers and sisters, we need to love what Jesus loves. We need to minister to the church for who she is. She's the bride of Christ. You talk about me in one way, I might have some compassion. You talk about my wife, there, we're going to have issues. We need to have the ability, and this is I, I, I believe our brother has just demonstrated this to us, encouraged us. I trust this is your touch in ministry. That though you hate sin so much... You're speaking to people who even might be in sin, but you're not condemning them. You're not coming down on them. You see them as withered hands, and you bring life to them. And the only way you can do that is to have love in your heart and an understanding that Jesus saves. Jesus liberates. Jesus still loves, even when sin's occurring. That's the whole beauty of the message of the cross. Your words alone will not change people. The living words that flow in you with the wellspring of God's grace will shine righteousness to the one who truly wants God to embrace it. So as we look at this, I I was amazed with this. In the Bible, the right hand many times reflects authority and also fellowship. And so a minister's reach should be that. We extend authority and we extend fellowship. We enhance authority. We enhance fellowship. Early on in youth ministry, I was reminded, you minister to young people, let them know God is love and God is authority. You can't separate those, but those are, those are, those are blended together. God is love, God is authority. And when you embrace those two truths, you will know God the Father. And that, that, that provides a safe place, but also an empowerment and, an, and a respect. Now, with this portion of scripture, religious thinking, like the Pharisees and the Herodians, hmm, hates health when it involves the box of their belief threatened or to be broken. The choice to extend your ministry reach means you expect to address destructive, boxed-in thinking, even if it's within you. I think, uh, and you can you can agree with me on this because every minister goes through this, where God breaks our boxes, whether we're limited in faith or we're limited in the understanding of His grace, of His of His uh, faithfulness. Uh, And with the religious thinkers, there's a box that will be broken. It has to be broken in order to surrender to to Christ. He wasn't honoring the Sabbath. He was honoring the Lord of the Sabbath, the God of the Sabbath, because he saw people. We can get so caught up into honoring the Sabbath and forget people. So I want to give you some essentials. This morning uh, that will aid in extending your ministry re- reach, um, and I want to move quickly through through some of these. Uh, first of all, and it just seems like this is what God has been working in me in the last couple of years. And anytime I get a chance to, to encourage and and um, teach to ministers, uh, the first one is this: your personal health. Here are some essentials that aid in extending your ministry reach. Notice how. I didn't start with the people. I, I started with, with, with us, with you, your personal health. And what I'm talking about is your spiritual health, your physical health, your emotional health. Uh, this is vital. Um, we find it to be noble that we spend everything we have and can for the work of God. That sounds so noble. But when it's worked out in, in practical ministry... We actually abuse ourselves, and we're limited in what we can actually give God and give others. I'm not talking that you are immune to, to sickness and disease. I believe God is our healer, but I believe, and I have found personally, the truth that Jesus said to Paul when Paul was facing some, some, some difficulties. He said, my grace is sufficient to you. My power is made perfect in weakness. There have been times when literally I went to, to preach and I felt like I was going to lose it any minute. I just, I had the flu and all that. other times I, I, I was injured and all that stuff. Those kind of things, man, you just all of a sudden, God's grace just kicks in. Yeah? I can't explain it other than His faithfulness. So I'm not referring to an um, unrealistic um, thing that you are immune from hurt and you are immune from pain, okay? What I'm speaking about is your ministry to yourself in being wise that you need downtime. You need uh, uh, alone time with God. You are not Superman or Superwoman, if there is one, Superwoman, Wonder Woman. You need rest. Jesus, when He walked this earth, often went alone to be with his father. He actually had enough wisdom to walk away from ministry so that he would be ministered to. So if our leader set that example, why do we choose to do it different? And this is the part of the demand of ministry uh, affects the way we view ministry, the way we approach ministry. The wealth of your ministry lies within, first and foremost, you positioning yourself for spiritual rest, physical, emotional rest. Something early on when I went full-time, and it was a combination of seeing my father going into full-time ministry and the demand occurring on him, as well as just reading and seeing things that made sense. We both helped each other to establish a day off. Now I don't want to embarrass anyone, so I don't want to take a survey. But if I ask you, do you have a day off set, it'd be interesting to see how many of you do. Then the next question is, do you honor that day off? And it'd be interesting because a day off means you're off on that day. It means that I don't check emails. Oh, but what happens in the church? We're going to talk about the systems and the structures that allows the church to be the church and the body to minister to each other. But, but there's this, there's this um, poor thinking. Everything rests on me. You're not Jesus. And when we, when we start showing, when we start doing this for ourselves, we actually model to our, to our, to our uh, people that, that we've been called to serve. We model a healthy approach, balance, what this generation needs, what young couples are looking for, what families are crying out for Is I need some balance in my life. Things are just crazy, crazy, crazy. And we as ministers, we'll just give them, you got to commit to the Lord, commit to the Lord, and we're just driving ourselves nuts, and we're tired, and we give our people this much because we haven't had a day off. Here's the other thing. When you set a day off, be careful what day you set off. Set off. Give your family, give your wife, give your children the best that you can give. Now, personally for me, Friday works good for me. Why? Because Monday, I'm drained from Sunday. Focus on the Family had a series for a while, Pastor to Pastor, and they talked about the fact that ministers on Monday just go through a, an adrenaline low. And many pastors, that's when they get beat up. Oh, I didn't do this right, I didn't do this. And, and I know for me, personally, when I get tired, I get critical. I don't know about you. Maybe you don't, but the person next to you does. Okay, And, and, and so, you know, Mondays, uh, I don't feel like that. Well, if I try to dive into a message on Monday... If I try to give my wife the day off on Monday, I'm not giving her the best. I'm just rehashing everything that, that went on. So I'm not ministering to my wife. I'm not ministering to my family. And, and, and it's not a spiritual battle. It's, a, it's, a, it's wisdom in you need rest. Now, if you take Mondays off, great. If it works for you, great. I'm just sharing with you what, what, I've, what I've learned. Okay. Hurting people hurt other people. I was celebrating here in the ministry uh, this weekend about pastors. Be healed, okay? Minister to yourself. Now, this is what's important about this, this thing about um, your personal health, and it's, and it's this. You need to be healthy in your thinking, you need to be healthy in your heart. You can actually minister when, when someone has hurt you, yes, but when that goes from a season or a cycle of life into a season, it will then become a way of life. And too many, too many good-hearted pastors that have long tenure in ministry are just speaking continually of hurts and hurts. Why? Because it's become a way of life for them because they've not been able to be healed by, by, by Christ. The other thing is this. When you live in ministering like that, you focus all your thoughts towards those that are in need or needy or hurting. And I believe as pastors, we've got a, a two-fold approach. We need to keep the hurting in mind. We need to minister to the hurting. And we also have to minister vision. I had somebody come and challenge me one day. He said, Pastor, look, I've got to tell you this. I'm pretty healthy in the Lord. I appreciate the fact that we're focusing so much on the hurting heart and all that, but I've got a vision that needs fuel. Boy, that challenged me. That opened my eyes to this. That that am I looking one dimension in this? Having issues resolved will just help you to extend your ministry reach. It also is an issue of growing up and maturing. In leadership, when you're, when you're leading leaders or if you're leading pastors, and, and I'm going to talk freely here. I've grown up in, in the IFCA, and I've seen leadership, every, and every, every, every leader that comes in, it's consistent. There's a lot of hurting pastors. Well, that's a combination of pastors being neglected, but also pastors being immature. I love you, you love me, we are servants in the kingdom of God. One day, NBCA will be passed on to another person. It's not my mistress, it's not my wife, I need to serve the Lord. He is my fulfillment. A lot of, a lot of hurting pastors are because they, they want everything geared toward them. If that's you, change. Change. Let the Lord bring this into your life, that your worth is found, first of all, in his eyes. Your identity. And from that, grow. From that, celebrate who you are. Don't try to be someone else. But don't have ministry all centered around poor me. You're a king's kid. You're the son of the Most High. And God has mandated you To be a part of raising up a glorious church. That's why personal health is so so important. All right. The next thing is this. You'll see on your outline is an action. And um, this is just to encourage you. When you take notes, you know, go back and say, what is the action about this first point that I need to do? You know, the first one, I will set a health plan in place. Uh, Maybe that's yours. I will honor my day off. Uh, I will move on from past hurts. It was, at this, it was at a convention like this several years ago that I found myself, it was a breaking point of a hurt that I had that I was working through. And it came to me this. When the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? And God used uh, uh, Brother Tim to speak to me at a convention. I saw it, I received it. It's a freedom. That hurt no longer hurts. Holds me. Up until then, that hurt had a strong voice in some of the ways that I viewed ministry. How long will you mourn for the person who hurt you? How long will you mourn for the person who manipulated you? How long will you mourn for the person who disappointed you? I mean, he's saying this to Samuel. Uh, One day I wish I can get to to that level, Samuel. But I'm going to take the, how long? Move on, move on, move on, move on with the healing power of God. Let me go to the second one, and this is an, another essential: your view of ministry and what this has to do with is um, your view of church, your your philosophy, your methodology. Uh, how do you view that mini- How do you view ministry being done? Moses, uh, for the longest time, viewed. Uh, that he was supposed to do everything in ministry. Uh, the disciples viewed that they were supposed to call down fire upon everyone. Paul was uh, viewed that he needed to get to persecute uh, the Christians for the sake of God, and then he realized who God was, and that changed John Mark, his view of ministry was to run home. Uh, they were all in it for God, but thank God for God's grace. There was something that occurred in their lives. That changed the view of how they see ministry. Let me give you an example. When I say, uh, how do you view ministry? Because I think this is also um, uh, something that that helps us ministers to extend our reach, to see, is the view of ministry that I have, is it scriptural? Is it healthy? Or is it it all just based on uh, me, myself, and I? Uh, One of the pastors I mentioned to you that I have, gleaned from, Chris Hodges. He's a pastor from a church on the Highlands. He said this, as long, this, is, this is his philosophy, his belief. As long as there is heaven and hell, church growth is not an option. Okay. That's what he believes. So then his design of his church is to aggressively grow people and reach people. So his view of ministry is that this is the way the church should operate. So he intentionally says to people who come, if you're looking for a church to just sit and do nothing, um, and you want church to be all about for you, you're you're coming to the wrong church. Because our church is about you moving from from a place of hurt to a place of healing to a place of ministry, and and it's a movement. You see, that view of this pastor's uh, ministry, the view that he has of church, then filters into how he leads Church. For us at NBCA, we want people to, to discover the God who's life-giving and life-changing through Jesus Christ. And as they discover it, they are brought into learning how to extend the Christ who is life-giving and life-changing. So this is our belief. But with that, my personal view of ministry is to empower the body. So that has to do with positioning opportunity for people to grow. And the way people grow is not just by textbook. They need to implement. They need to serve. They need, you, you grow by serving and instruction. So opportunities are given, which means that there are certain things that I've got to start letting go of so other people will, will do. And that's been a learning process for me. And some things now I have mastered. And there are some other areas that I still, I still have the Holy Spirit saying, Son, this, you still got to let this one go. You got to let this one go. But stay on the, on the path, walking with, with your master on that. So your, your view of ministry means, what do you see uh, is the purpose for the ministry you are in or the one that you are leading. And, and how do you see your role? How do you see your role in sports, with, with a sports analogy? Do you see your role as one of the players? Do you see yourself as a coach? Do you see yourself as a general manager? <laughs> do you see yourself on the injured reserve list? These are, these are kind of things that you just need to take a step out of the role of ministry to just reflect on yeah, how do I see myself? And in turn then, am I projecting that and am, are people seeing that? Let's talk about this on, on how we see ministry a little more, okay? Exodus chapter chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Uh, I, this, this is something that I received and it just went deep into my heart and I embraced it as well because these two scriptures really reflect God's heart for his people. Let me read it to you. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. What I love about this is it shows God's heart and the full work that he intends to do in people. Moving people from where they are to where he wants them to be. Do you see the progression in this verse? It is, first of all, I want them saved. I will bring you out of Egypt. Then the next one is delivered. I will free you as a slave. Delivered from bondages, delivered from past hurts, delivered from a way of life. It's amazing that we as ministers, when we, when we see, you know what, we want people saved, Well, then hopefully the message of salvation is, is all through your ministry, right? But also the, the awareness that people need delivered. Because it is difficult for people to see tomorrow if yesterday is not wiped away. So people need delivered through that. Um, then the next one, I will redeem you. It's, it's the next step, step of, of God's incredible work. Uh, this really means I, I want to get you back to where you are to be and what you are to be doing. I want you to discover the gifts that I put in you. Start living life through the gifts that I put in you. Redeeming, getting back what, what was stolen through lives and things like that. And then the, and then the final one is this and I will take you as my own people, fulfilled. Meaning that you're brought into doing life with others. I, I, this is the, the attack on the church, that, that people feel that they can be a part of the church without being a part of the church. <laughs> it, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it frustrates us as, as pastors and, and, and ministers. Uh, but God's heart is this. I want you to become a people, fulfilled. Now watch the progression just in these two scriptures here. Saved, delivered, redeemed, fulfilled. It's a movement. It's a progression. Every healthy church should have this progression because it reflects the heart of God for people. You should acknowledge those, if you call them stages or steps, Just because someone's saved doesn't mean they're delivered. Just because someone's delivered doesn't mean they've discovered their gifts, their giftings. And just because someone has discovered their gifting doesn't mean that they've been brought into something bigger than themselves. So in ministry, in extending our ministry reach, we want to see, is is my ministry one-dimensional? Is it just purely salvation? Well, then being in a comprehensive view of things What about the other three that resemble God's heart? Where do those things take place? Um, Helping move people into saved, delivered, redeemed, fulfilled. And, you know, when you reflect on this later on, an action uh, could be this, uh, based on this question. Is your current ministry reflecting your view of ministry? Is your current ministry reflecting your view of ministry? You've got to ask these kind of questions. And then the next question would be this. Is your view reflective of Christ's view? Take a look to see the way you're pastoring, does it resemble Christ's philosophy? Does it represent God's heart? Your view is your passion, and your passion will cause you to be intolerant of the ignorant and (laughs) arrogant. Let me give give you an example. This might be an extreme, but I've got a good friend who... um, Man, he just wants to, he wants to win as many people as, as he can. Uh, he has a very large church, and I've watched how his church has grown from a handful of people to several thousand. A while ago, somebody came into his office to complain about something in the church. This person talked for 20 minutes, and after they were done talking, he said, now, you have shared your frustration for 20 minutes, and within 20 minutes, I heard nothing about the lost or the hurting. I heard nothing from you regarding regarding interest in those that need healing and wholeness and empowerment. You have, in fact, wasted 20 minutes of both our time. Now, if you want to talk about kingdom things, I'll make another appointment with you. Of course, the person left the church. Now, when I heard that, I did the same thing that I saw most of you go. You went. And it challenged me. We cater. We coddle. I'm not talking about being abrupt with where there's no love. But I believe that you know when when my when my children are doing something wrong, I've got to address it. The same way we've got to address wrong thinking. Now your style is your style. If you're straightforward, if you're if if, if you're confrontational with love, okay. If you walk alongside of someone, okay. As long as there's love going on, there's different styles, different personalities. But what is not here's a, here's here's something that is not negotiable doing ministry without love, okay? You can hate the mindset. You can hate the sin. But you better love the sinner, and you better love the saint who has the bad mindset. I have got somebody in my church that for the longest time controlled me because I wanted so much to be accepted by him. And he complained, and he oh, and I was finally free of him when I went up and said to him, Brother, the changes that I'm doing, I want you to know, they're not personal. I want you to know that. You might disagree with them, but they're not personal. But I I, I want you to know this. I have to move forward in what God has called me to do. All I ask you to do, you pray for me. And I want you to know it's not personal against you. There was a separation that occurred. We're not best buddies. I don't extend myself to him in daily fellowship because I don't need that wellspring. But I still love him. And today, I celebrate him more now than I did when I was trying to gain his approval. I'm being transparent with you because I think this is a subtlety uh, in pastoring or leading people. We want people's approval. And, and um, that'll control you. That'll control you, okay? Yeah, that's what he said. He said to this, to this person, uh, 20 minutes, and I didn't hear one thing about winning souls, discipling people. Isn't that a great response, though? Think about it. Okay? In your meetings, after you've talked 20 minutes about how much you're spending on staples. Uh, all right, let's go on because I'm going to get to that, okay? Find out what you're passionate about. Lead with your heart. We, let me go on here. Number three. Structures and systems. This is something that all the things that we've been receiving this weekend will help us to implement in our churches or accelerate the ministry. Structures and systems will help you to magnify the name of the Lord and to, to uh, position ministries for people to not only serve in, but to reach and disciple more people. So Numbers is a great, is a great book to see organization. And um, I was reflecting on this in Numbers chapter 4, uh, how God assigned certain clans for certain areas to move the tabernacle, the meeting, And they all had their, their specific roles. Um, the Marorites, if I'm saying that right, They had the the big stuff, okay? They had the structural stuff. um, When the cloud moved, they owned this area, and they moved. Now, in Numbers chapter 9, we see about the cloud representing the presence of God. It was unpredictable, right? The cloud moved, which reminds us God is still moving. God is on the move, Okay? Uh, Aslan is moving, if you like the Chronicles, okay? Uh, Which means the church needs to move. So if your structures and your systems are not designed to move with the cloud, do we change the cloud or do we change the structures and systems? Amen. And so if you have structures and systems in, as a pastor... You're giving that overall look, seeing is there something that needs changed in the system, changed in the structure, so that we can move quickly with the cloud. One thing is doing ministry that moves. Another thing is, are we doing it as effective as we can? And I love going back to Chris Hodge's example. There is a heaven. There is a hell. People are dying. I'm grieved about our country, our nation, but I don't sit in the White House. But I do fill a pulpit. And as I can uh, pour into people the urgency of living for Christ and and evangelizing where they're at and nurturing a healthy discipleship in someone else, we can save more people in a quick way and and, and put away things that are just wasting our time. And so structures and systems will help. So let me give you a couple structures here, okay? Structures are things that once they're in place, they don't need much maintenance. They don't need much attention. But they do need to be set to have a healthy ministry. And the first one is a clear vision. Every every church, every ministry needs a clear vision. And what is this? It's simply... Resolving, proclaiming, what are you trying to accomplish? That's it. What are you trying to accomplish? Uh, Proverbs 29, 29, 18, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. The second part is this but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Where there is no vision, where there is no revelation, people are just going to do their own thing. It's the same way with the church. When there isn't a clear vision, a clear call for a local assembly, we all can't do everything, but what we are called to do, we can do it with excellence. Do you, does your people know why why your church, their church, exists where it does? Why did God call you to the community that you're in? What is the vision for that community? What is the vision for that church towards the nation? What is it? What is, our church is not called to change the political climate. Some churches are. I don't, I don't get in arguments with, with that. But we're not. We do, though, teach to be responsible Christian Americans. And, as, and, and, and I still believe we have the, the right to vote. So then we teach them to be prayed up and informed about the, the, the platforms that candidates have. Do, do, they, do they reflect... God, or do they reflect godly standards? I'm just amazed what we have done as Christians regarding putting so many people in office that um, don't do that. Uh, it's, it's a reflection of irresponsibility on our end. However, with that said, some churches are just loaded in vision, We're, we, and so they do a lot of things geared toward that. That's fine. What is your vision for your church? Does your people know the vision? When you cast vision, some of the things that will help you to see is it a clear vision is this. Clarify a measurable win. If you are a soul winning church, a measurable win would be this. How many people have we seen come to the Lord in the last two weeks? Or we're doing an event next month. Our vision is to reach people. How many people not just came to that event, how many people accepted Christ? Because your vision is to win the loss. So, so that's just one example that a measurable win will help you to see is the vision clear and is the vision set and in practice. We use uh, at our church, we're a life-giving, life-changing church. We have an acronym that we use to help us to gauge our ministries and to engage people, okay? Okay? L is learning, I is involvement, F is fellowship, E is evangelism, and the canopy of all that is worship, that you worship through your living, singing, and, and giving. It helps us uh, to gauge, is the vision that we're promoting uh, being implemented? Um, how do we gauge our ministries? Is it life-giving, with truth, not, not with fads, not with gimmicks, with truth and with grace? This is This is what has... It has helped us. And, and so with that, then you're able to place the heart of that vision, the touch of ministry. We, we have created something, the attitude to serve. You don't have to, you get to. And I get that now thrown back at me a lot, you know, especially when my wife wants to go shopping and, and I don't. Honey, you don't have to, you get to. So, you know, but you get it. You, you, with the vision, you set a culture, culture of not only learning, but a culture of fellowship moving in the same vision. Vision says what the culture should look like. And the culture should look like the vision. You know you are operating in vision when the culture reflects it. So, if you have a vision to reach people and you haven't seen people saved in in 15 years, something is disconnected there. Go back to see is the vision? Has the vision just sat in your heart? And you you haven't proclaimed it. You haven't implemented it. Uh, empowered people. Things like that. Here's another structure. Another structure is this: scriptural church government. Now, some of you are phenomenal in 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 this, and I have gleaned from you greatly. I'm not. I'm not. Mentioning this to, to dissect these, thank you. The scriptural, it's a given. You need elders, you need deacons, you need those that, that help you with the spiritual vision, and then you also need those that will help with the structures, okay? I want to refer to this with the scriptural church government how do you make decisions? How, are, how is money spent? Is there a freedom, as well as a accountability, uh, w- among your among your leaders, so that ministry can move with a with a with a healthy pace? Uh, uh, the world calls it either micro or macro management, uh, but I believe scriptural church government shows how the church can move at a healthy healthy pace. Um, most church governments. Slow down the pace of ministry. And I love what Dr. Rutland says. We, we need to think about the speed to market. We have a product. <laughs> What's the speed to market with that product? Uh, if you want to think in, in business sense. How, how quick can we implement in a healthy way a healthy product? And most church governments um, do not complement what is in the heart. Of a pastor. So there's tensions. Uh, let me give you an example that um, uh, actually uh, my brother uh, in law, who serves in a church in Kansas, uh, he was sharing this with me, and I've watched from a distance, and this is what has happened. He came to this church many years ago, met my sister in law, uh, and they visit two weeks each summer. I wish he would visit, and she wouldn't, but that's okay. No, I always tease her. Uh, as long as I know I'm kidding, then it's healthy. Okay. The, the pastor befriended, not befriended her, became a father to her. He is serving as a deacon. Many years later, this happens several years later, finds that the pastor is struggling with pastoring, with giving direction, with giving vision. They didn't know if it was something physical because he had an accident, mental. So he said, let's give the pastor a sabbatical, which challenged the pastor because he's very hands-on. A sabbatical, which I wonder how many of us have ever done that, but I'm hearing more and more in other cultures, it's a way of life for pastors. Sabbatical, where you actually... Leave your church for three or four weeks with the blessings of the people without having your paycheck pulled away to seek God. And you're fine with it. Wow. And they gave that to him. In in hopes that he would come back with fresh vision or clear vision and all that. That wasn't happening. They're working through this. Now, here's here's the, the frustration. This young man who... Was friends with the pastor. Sat under the pastor's meeting uh, ministry, is a deacon. The deacon role is this: we're to support the pastor, but we're also to dictate his merit raises, and we're to dictate to him when he's not doing, when he's not doing his job. You have a con- you have a contradiction there. In a role. The world doesn't even do that to itself. Many of our government systems ask good people with good gifts, and they're usually gifts that are different than the pastors, and this is why it frustrates us, is because we think they're carnal, but they're really gifted in, in finances and in administration, and they can really cause the ministry to just explode if their ministry gifts are not only uh, honored and respected, but, but placed in a position that doesn't cause this conflict because nobody wins when you're supposed to be under someone and over someone. Nobody wins. If this is a system you're in, you're not going to go back home and change it by being solo in this. You're going to share based on empathy for the person who's in that role so that they would discover also this isn't God's design. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of order. And I know that then there are spirits and attitudes that are strongholds. That's, that's a whole other issue of, of just uh, authority needing to come into to, to, to um, uh, address that and break that. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about good people who are in unhealthy roles because of the government system and the church is unhealthy. Um, these kind of um, this, this kind of example I just encourage you you want to have a government system that minimizes now please, watch, please follow me with this minimizes the voice of the people and maximize the heart of the people for ministry the voice then you're going to run into too many opinions too many ways you know what in leadership it's about there's five ways to do something And you got to make the choice out of the five good ways to do it, which way we're going to choose to do it. And if you don't choose and if you don't lead, then everybody's going to offer up their own opinions. Now, in the culture that we live in and in church design, it's good to have counsel. It's good to have a team approach. But God's put something on your heart. Lead it. Lead it with grace. But Lead it. And so... You want a government system where it minimizes, when I say the voice of the people, it's not that you're a dictator. It's that they understand membership really isn't about I get a vote for every little item. Membership is about uh, I, I've stepped into another level of responsibility. I'm a part of this church family. And I believe that my ties, my heart, my spirit, my service, my gifts, and my prayers go to this. Right? I know, I know this is a touchy issue. But every year many of you go through your annual reports, your, your government system is just oh, oh. Move in God's grace, but move to change that because that, that is limiting your ministry reach. Uh, another area are solid financial principles. You want to have solid principles. What do you save? What do you spend? What do you give? Be a generous church. Building your budget, giving. Be wise. In saving, but be a generous church. Take a look at what you give away. Take a what? Take a look at what you serve. Uh, so, outside of your ministries, take a look at these things. Um, see, create. Let let your let your biblical uh, let your financial principles and your budgets reflect the heart of generosity uh, regarding giving. Uh, don't have all your generosity flow into your house. We give to missions, or well, the only missions we give to, is uh, one minute, one missionary who's out of our church. That, that, go beyond that. Reach out. Uh, sow into churches that will never ever benefit you. Amen. Uh, build and uh, here's the other. Here's the other one. Build and maintain a great team. Invest in a staff. Um, take the advice of Moses's. Uh, father-in-law, which Moses did. Uh, Use leaders in a wonderful way. Entrust ministry to them. Empower them. I just want to make a note because we have done this for quite some time now. We have paid staff at our church. um, And I've learned more and more. When you're hiring paid staff, make sure they have the ability to raise up leaders and create teams. And I'm talking about ministry ta- tasks. Make sure you have that because if, if they don't have that gift, then that person is really just contracted out to do a certain duty. Now, that might work depending on what the need is, okay? If you have a need for a teaching pastor and all, all you want that teaching pastor to do is teach, not to raise up other leaders and all that, then that, that's fine. But I have found that if, if somebody is being set apart for the work of the ministry inside the church, uh, I need somebody who, who can raise up leaders and, and raise up teams. Um, and that helps the church to grow. It helps people to come into their gifts. Instead of it being more of a spectator sport, it's participatory. Amen. Now, your philosophy about paid staff, full-time, part-time, that's yours, I believe. It's, when it's done healthy, it, it's a wonderful thing, empowering, empowering. But thank God for volunteers. I've got some, uh, we are running a phenomenal small group system in our church. It is directed by a couple. They're volunteers. They, d- they do a phenomenal job, and that's their ministry. All right, let's talk about systems. Real quick, because systems are are what? Systems are the approach to accomplish ministry. And healthy systems will extend your ministry reach. Uh, Let me give you an example of what systems are. At our church, we have three systems. Our weekend services, which currently it's 9 and 11 o'clock. Our our ministries, which involves our departments, uh, our small groups, our outreaches, And then we have uh, leadership development uh, where that has had uh, a different look to it from season to season, but it helps us to, this is our track to develop leaders. Now, I could add a fourth one, and that is our staff because our our paid and administrative staff um, uh, is a system as well. So really that's four. What I mean by systems is this. How do you implement vision? Where do you, where do you, your vision is, I want to disciple people. Okay, where do you do that at? Where do you do that in your church ministry? Uh, if, you're a, if you're a worship leader, a worship director, I want to, I want to train uh, my, my, uh, my leaders. Where do you do that at? Uh, maybe it's a combination of the platform, but the platform is a, is a tough place to, to train. I have small groups. So you want to look at systems. Sunday school is a system. Women's ministry is a system. Uh, Don't be turned off by these terms uh, because these terms relate to healthy uh, organization, healthy approach to get the vision moving. I had a chance to talk to a young man who's starting uh, starting off his ministry, and I just said, hey, what's in your heart? I just want to see the young people filled with God. That's awesome. What does that mean? Let's break it down a little bit. Senior pastors, help your directors and your other pastors. Questions will help this, to go from this to this so that things get implemented. So things have, ha- have um, a way for people to, to work it. You know? Uh, well, uh, we're going to gather people in through big events, good, and then from big events, we're going to bring them into smaller groups where they can be discipled. Wow, that's a system. That's a system. These systems will empower your church and extend your ministry your ministry reach. These systems are how you extend that and, um, and even how you multiply it. Let me give you an example in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, uh, this is the, a system for care. The apostle said with the issue of the, the widows, the Hebraic, uh, in the Greek, widows, some injustice, was neglect was going on. Now, in this, in this chapter, the apostles who walked with Christ knew firsthand Christ cared, took time, loved, and all this. They said, it's not good for us to care for them. What they were meaning was, it's not good for us to put our hands into this. Choose among you those who are, what? Full of the spirit and wisdom. Let them handle it. This is a touchy issue for us as pastors. Because we, if, if, you, if you have anything on the ball about caring for people, your heart just goes out to them. Would you be able to make that call like the apostles did? I'm talking about a widow. Talking about somebody who's in need. But the priority of their role was this. We will stay focused in prayer and and, and, and the word, teaching of the word. We go from up here in our role to hear, oh, come on, sister, come on, brother, i got to care for you. And we spend all week doing that instead of maybe just taking a step back and saying, Lord, what is the wisdom in Acts 6 with the spirit of care? Not to be callous, but to multiply and impart a healthy care environment. We can actually grow the church through care, but it will not happen with us doing everything. You see, there's been, a, there's been this sad thing that's been placed on pastors. Because our standard is Christ, the good shepherd, we've got to be Christ. Did you follow what I said? It's, it's, i got I to be everything. I, I, I just humbly went to the Lord on that. Lord, I can't live up to this Psalms 23 thing. You can. By my, God's, by, by my grace, you can. And with my wisdom. Take note of what the apostles did. Now, I still have elements of, t- of touching uh, and being there for people. I do. And it, it's not a science. It is the ebb and flow of God's grace, man. It really is. But I have been intentional to realize, Lord, help me to move more and more in Acts 6. Because I've seen too many pastors who are frustrated that their church isn't growing, but they are doing Acts 6, and not in time of prayer and word. And it's not your leader's fault. It's not your deacon's fault. It's not the people's fault. It's the lack of courage to trust the Lord's wisdom in doing this. Where do you care for your people first and foremost? How you minister the word, how you fill them with word, how you feed them. They will see love and truth combined. Now, it doesn't mean that you become alienated with them. I met with a, a gentleman that, that, he had issues. He had issues, he had issues. And uh, he came in and met with me, and he just started saying, you know, you're not the pastor that I need. And I said, well, I, I, I'm sorry. And he started making the list, and I said, you know what? I'm not the pastor that you want. Because I can't guarantee that I'll be at your next granddaughter's birthday party. I I can't. I'm not going to commit that. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to chase that expectation because I can't do it. What I can guarantee you is this. When there's a need in your home, by God's grace, we've designed the ministry of this body. Somebody will be there. But even if somebody isn't there, the teaching is that Christ is with you. As foolproof as we want to be in meeting needs, we need to first instill in people, he is the one that you meet needs, that, that meets needs. I, I just feel that this being embraced will liberate uh, quite a few pastors here today. And it's a process. And it's a work of grace uh, based on seeing, actually, when we implemented some things in care ministry, more people are being cared, and more people are using their gifts in care ministry. And I'm loving it. I'm watching them, And it has helped me in my care ministry to those that are, that are hurting. All right, these systems can be the way that your vision with your heart is transferred to others through others who are capable to serve um, let me, give you a, let me give you an example here. Now, I'll tell you what, I get, that was a strong enough example for you. With these systems that are in place, you take a look and you challenge, you challenge the process, as Andy Stanley says. Uh, take a look at your systems. Are they achieving, implementing, expressing the vision? Quite some time ago, when I, when I moved from the associate into the senior role, the worship ministry just, um, and I was leading the worship ministry, but the, the, uh, the, uh, there was a, a certain area of the music ministry that someone else was leading. And I, I didn't want to be an event, special holiday music ministry. I mean, those are beautiful if that's in your vision. It wasn't in mine. The woman that led it. I was ready to make a change, and the Holy Spirit just quickened me and said, have you empowered this lady to succeed as much as you have empowered her or disarmed her to fail? And I realized I had in mind to make a change, but I didn't really support her. So that next year, I actually mandated as much as you can with volunteers Everyone involved with the music ministry, you'll be a part of the Easter cantata. You'll do the Christmas thing. And they were wonderful. And she had some fulfillment. Then I moved in with the next change, and I said to her, I said, you know what's in my heart? This is what I'm going to ask of you, to just follow with me. I need your gifting now here in a supportive role. There's there's areas we need to move into, and I want to place someone else there. This woman adjusted. I did as much as I could in love and respect to her. But then comes the time that you've got to make change. This whole idea, well, she's a good brother. She's not a good brother. She's a good sister. <laughs> He's a good brother. She's a- That's great for fellowship. But in the structure of leadership, I hope we're all good. But we need to put people in gifts where they need to be. Because my executive team, they need to help me break through some barriers that I'm praying through. I need their gifts to help me go to the next level without surrendering what, the ground we've already gained. I can't have them on the team just because they're a good brother. It's expected that they're a good brother, a good sister. Lovingly change but ultimately, the person has to receive based on vision. Let me just share with you this. To honestly ask the question, have courage to, uh, to ask the tough question, it's this, what is the reality of your current leadership? That's a tough question, but you need to ask that. And what will help you to assess this is systems analysis. You want You want things in place in your systems to measure. Do you want a growing children's ministry? Yes. You've had 10 kids for the last three years. What's happening there? What system do you have in place to know that you have 10 kids? Are you taking attendance? These systems analysis will give you facts to help you with your faith to develop vision. So that you know how, how big of a step of faith do we need to make if we're going into this building project? Well, we have this much money in, in the bank. Okay, then I know it's going to be a big step. Got to feed the people with faith. We don't need any step of faith, we got all the money in there. Systems analysis will tell you where you're at as a church, okay? And uh, this, uh, this term, institutional reality, that I, that I got from. Uh, Uh, Dr. Rutland, it's this. Two plus two is four. Us Pentecostals, the charismatics, we like to to flavor things. I'm being honest with you, right? The anointing, yeah, we're reaching a lot of people. How many people are you reaching? How many people am I reaching? How many people am I discipling? Institutional reality is when you have a systems analysis that you're actually tracking to see is what we have set out to do, working. And if it's not, tweak it, change it. If the horse is dead, dismount. If the horse is dead, dismount. Our women's ministry was nice in getting women to events, but the women, they didn't know each other. So I needed to change the women's ministry so that it would develop relationships within the church because all we were was a, 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 a bus stop for people to gather to go to events. I needed to see that. What was the systems anal- uh, an that, um, analysis that I had in place to see how many women are actually involved in small groups and how many women are actually uh, measurable so that I'm not being deceived. There's a grace in this, but the fact is this. Charismatics and Pentecostals, we we talk in abstract, and sometimes we need the concrete to just either reinforce or to clarify, are things happening? Um, I'm, I'm talking based out of experience. God is moving. How do you know God's moving? Well, here's the thing. In our church, there's a good spirit right now. How do I know that? I know it because I perceive it in my spirit. I'm never going to lose out. I'm never going to, I don't want to ever lose the voice of the spirit, okay? But I'm also seeing the good spirit because I'm seeing in our gatherings, people talking, people, people stepping up. There's a good spirit of volunteerism. Why? People are, people are volunteering, okay? So with that said, um, what would happen? If us pastors had time to pray, time to read the word, proper delegation, proper times of refreshment, refreshment, refreshing, we would see our ministry extended. I don't say this to say that you're not doing this. I'm encouraging you, wherever you're at, go further. Whatever needs, tweak tweak it. Whatever needs, buried, bury it. Here's a, here's a couple points on leadership, and then I'll, then I'll finish here. Leadership is communication. A study of leadership is the study of communication. Study how you communicate to see how effective you are as a leader. Do you have proper meetings? Do you, do you communicate the vision on a consistent basis uh, to your church? Um, what we have going for us better than, uh, than any secular organization, and that is spiritual momentum. Let me show you what this is. And, uh, you all know Pastor Ryan. This is a great example of a, a phenomenal right-hand man. He's, he's tremendous, and I thank God for him. We've been often having these talks. Feel God moving you out. He said, Pastor, you'll be the second person I'll let you know. Other than my wife, okay? Spiritual momentum. This can represent spiritual momentum, growth in some sort. People are, people are sitting under the word more, an increased interest. Uh, of course, attendance, uh, uh, involvement. Okay, but let me just show you this because this will apply. Here it is. A church will grow, grow, and then it will hit a plateau. And if nothing is done at this plateau it will begin to actually decrease. Okay? This is common in church, in church life. It's common. And this is what happens. When we have things, I don't know if you guys can see this, but uh, when you have this, everything's going well. A leader sees ahead. A manager sees what's now. You need managers. You need managers because what's happening now needs managed. But a pastor needs to be a leader to see what's ahead. And some carry the ability to lead and manage, and you've got to delegate that management thing so that you can focus on what... Wayne Wayne Gretzky said this, what makes a hockey player great is he doesn't go to where the puck is, he goes to where the puck is. Is going to be. So, you're looking, if your church is here, you're looking here. You're looking here. You're looking ahead. Now, when you see by the Spirit, first and foremost, the church is starting to plateau. Some of you have us, talk, us talking to, you. You, you see your church is filling up. We need to make room for more, more, uh, more people. Why? Because you're looking ahead. Most people if they're managers, they're doing the tasks, the vision. What are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? If, if nothing is given here, this is what happens. And this is why churches go from being complacent to regress. Churches, organizations, marriages, relationships, this fits with everything. And what a visionary needs to do is seeing, okay, what do I do? It's regressing. I, I can't stop this. You can, by God's grace. But this is what's going to need to happen. Something new needs to be launched. Something new needs to be be um, casted. Something new needs to be uh, embraced so that, so that this is broken, so that this continues. What is it that you've launched? Thanks, Ryan. What is it that you launched in the last three years? Two years? What is it that, that you've caused a surge? Did you start a new ministry? Did you, did you start a new service? What is it that, that is just keeping you, keeping the ministry moving so that more people are saved, more people are discipled, more gifts are being used? There's a couple items here with leadership just simply for you uh, to help you lead people and empower leaders. Uh, just three simple things. Make sure with your leaders that you set goals that they understand. And with those goals, give clear objectives with timely deadlines. That's something that um, I've gotten away from and I've realized, I don't give deadlines anymore. Um, And then the third one is provide clear channels of communication. So you empower them with the goal, the objective. This is what I want you to do. I want you to develop three leaders in your children's ministry by... Uh, The start of school. Give them realistic goals, okay? Uh, Don't say, uh, you know, by Sunday I want you to have a a team of five. That's unfair. Uh, But then provide clear channels of communication. If you have a question, if you run into a roadblock, come, talk to me. We'll meet on Mondays or just call me. But do not, do not take what you've given them away from them just because it's more convenient for you to fix it. Because they'll never grow and you'll never be released into staying in the role. We opened up a life center five years ago, and I had three men that I was developing as a leader, and none of the gifts really uh, uh, came out. Um, uh, I was expecting a, a, a type of gift to emerge, and it didn't. I was consumed with this outreach, and what I noticed was this. In being consumed in this ministry, I neglected the overall vision for a se- season. I was a, that was a lesson learned. Wow. You do move to areas in ministry, pastors, that need your attention. But be careful of being consumed by it because it will cause you to to lose sight of the overall goal. And then the law of growth uh, out of 2 Peter 3.18, the encouragement to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Just remember, you first grow yourself. I commend you for being at this convention. Uh, I hope that this isn't the only source for you to be fed, I hope that uh, I hope you venture out into other arenas of learning. It just helps us to to see ministry not just through Christian Assembly, not just through IFCA, but Kingdom. About three years ago, I joined in for one year on a monthly leadership meeting with a group of Presbyterian pastors. I went to a Presbyterian liberal arts school. Um, I have a great passion for Catholics. I have no tolerance for Presbyterians. And when I, when I, and this friend of mine has a dynamic work, and he, uh, he uh, invited me, and each month I saw in these pastors, man, they love Jesus. They want to reach people. And then in one segment, they actually all looked at me, and the, and the pastor said, now, Sam can teach us about worship and expression. And, and then I realized, oh my, I was brought in this group for the Lord to cut me and expand me, and now he's using me. We still have our differences in in, in theological issues, but it helped me to, to not be arrogant in my ignorance. I stand before you giving you things that came from pastors outside of our movement. Not because I hate our movement, it's because it's just healthy to have a kingdom-minded in your, in your growth process. You first grow yourself, and then when you're growing, you focus on growing your people. Grow your people. Grow your leaders. And when you do those two things, grow your organization with putting proper structures and systems in place. Don't neglect those structures. Don't neglect those systems. But don't skip op- over growing people and jumping right into growing your organization, all right? Two things that, that God's working in me. The, the, the first one is the discontented leader. And you know the whole Cave of Adullam thing when, the, when, they, when men gathered with David and they were in debt, distressed, and discontented? I, I, I'm finding that there, there's a healthy discontent. It, it's, it's basically when, um, like David. When he came to the battle, there was a holy discontent with him when he said, uh, is, is there not a cause? Uh, Nehemiah had a holy discontent uh, when he saw the walls down. Uh, I'm in that right now. There's a discontent. I'm just, I just feel like, Lord, there's more. I want to encourage you with this. Sometimes our discontent is, is the opportunity for God to show himself in a deeper way to us. So, so stay Stay focused in plugging into hearing God's voice. John Maxwell says this that about this discontentment. It's the catalyst for change, and I think that uh, I think that's good. Uh, You should have a church. Your church should um, should have a a holy discontentment to to win the lost. There should just be this. How how can we win the lost? How can you, you want you want a big heart from your church? Plant that in them. Celebrate that. Nurture that. and How can I win my neighbor and all that? I think that's a good ground there. And then lastly, I'm, I'm so into this. Raising the next generation. Uh, what I loved about this particular ch- church hosting this, man, I'm seeing young people everywhere. That's good. And it's probably messy. You know what I mean by messy? They probably don't get all the details. It's messy. But I love it. I love it. Get your young people engaged. Don't just think a healthy youth ministry will do it. Get them involved in the youth ministry and the youth ministry involved in the overall church. Let the older celebrate the younger by you platforming it. Don't ever create division between the older and the younger. Don't use words of division. Celebrate it. Relate them as the fathers and grandfathers. Build that heart in them, if nothing else, the vision in them. There's a gentleman that uh, uh, about six months ago I was talking to, he's, uh, he's approaching 70, and I asked him how his church was doing. His church is very, 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 very small, a handful of people, yet he spoke great vision. We're going to do outreach. We're going to do this and all this and all this and all this. And I said, brother. But he told me where he's ministering at is at the nursing home. So I said, you know, brother, I just want to share this with you. Take it for what it's worth. I just see you in a season where it would be good for you to just be Papa. Find a young person. Find a young person that just wants an opportunity to grow in ministry. Let him him start. Hear his vision. And if that jives with your heart, start giving him your pulpit. Start giving him the opportunity to grow. And and you be Papa. And you'll you'll raise up someone to, to take the church further. And you will be honored in the sense of your gifting. It's a beautiful thing, this whole papa exchange. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. I think it, I believe it's a scriptural thing. And I love my Italian heritage, but it comes with the good, the bad and the ugly. I love how you don't mess with family. But then there's also the ugliness of it that there's this whole pride thing. And so the sons are always living. To honor the fathers, because the fathers demand we need honored. Scripturally, the fathers are, in, are empowering the sons to move forward. This will cause your ministry reach to go further. And so I'm challenged even now where I'm at in my life. Who are the sons and daughters that I need to? empower, and even make room for. I hope this has been helpful. And it's been done with humility in my heart, but a determination to just be used by God for you. Can I just uh, share something with you? Because I know our time is is gone. Two, two, one opportunity that I have gone through, and uh, I've shared it with Brother Mike. What was it, a couple years ago, Mark Rutland came and spoke, and he introduced the... Uh, the National Institute Christian Leadership. I actually had the opportunity to be a part of this. It is phenomenal. It is four sessions throughout 12 months, and each session is two and a half days. Um, what I loved about it also is your spouse goes free. So Joe and I were able to go away for two and a half days, and he teaches things on this, leadership and management, staff and volunteers, preaching and worship, strategic leadership for growth. These four things are, are focused on in each session. It's a $4,000 investment that when you prepay it, it's, it's $3,100. But what I found is this, that the time away and the time to sit under experienced, anointed, strategic thinking helped me to be a better pastor. And I also was able to meet 20-some other pastors throughout the country and build some, some, some friendships that have been vital and valuable to me. If you're interested in this, I'm not asking you to son, today. I just want you to express your interest to me because uh, it's in my heart in a future date, maybe 2014 or maybe the early part of 2015, to host this. And I wanted to see, first of all, with my, with my family, how many pastors would be interested in that. And then I can com- communicate to you uh, as, this, uh, as this develops, if it will develop. Uh, right now, it's in my, it seems good to me to, to pursue this, all right? Uh, the other thing is this. He has worked out with Oral Roberts University that through the NICL, you can gain 12 um, right-standing credits that would roll into a master's of practical theology and then uh, and currently I'm in this program at ORU and uh, they really make it pastor friendly with the highest educational requirements still in place. So if you're interested in that, uh, you can talk to me uh, over lunch, but we also have these signups here. You can just put your name and your email address about the NICL. Lastly, there's a brochure. 213 CARE Conference, one of the professors at ORU is the dean of pastoral care and theology at Oral Roberts, phenomenal, phenomenal teacher. Uh, We're going to have him come in at our church and host a CARE conference uh, Saturday, September 7th, and uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that. He really believes that we can grow the church through CARE. I love you. Be blessed. What's it? Oh, okay. Thank you.